Welcome to Nkanizatu, the pod that tells indigenous stories every day. The platform that tells you what's good and what's odd for young people and elderly alike in the areas of art, history and culture preservation. And now your host, Rina Kasongo. Hi, welcome back to the Nkanizatu podcast. It is on this podcast that we bring to you enlightening stories of exceptional individuals and uh, on today's episode, before I get to that, this podcast is proudly powered by Sotrend Publishers, a leading publisher of indigenous values literature. On today's episode, I am having a conversation with someone that could be your icon, I believe, especially for people that are very interested in judo. I am talking about Shapa Wakunguma, who is going to be here with me to discuss all things judo, family, work, police work, and many other things that you may know him for, especially his book titled Judo, The Sport That Leveraged My Life. Hey, Shaba. Good morning, Rinan. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, indeed. Uh, it is so good to have you here on the podcast. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to all the things that we're going to be talking about. Thank you so much. I'd I hope like... you have a good time. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. I'm so grateful that I'm here. I'm happy to be here. I'd like to wish the Sotren Publishers a a successful 2024. I've I've had um, a marvelous uh, experience with working with with the, your team. Sydney uh, in particular was very helpful, and the project. I think we do own that project, uh, the book that is titled uh, Judo: The Sport That Leveraged My Life. I think it's a project that uh, we are proud of. Uh, I think we worked together to to conceive that project, and I'm proud. Uh, about uh, that achievement so thank you so much to you and everyone else and wonderful wonderful judo the sport that leveraged my life we'll, we'll talk about that in detail but for starters um just share with me your background that is where you grew up mm -hmm, what mm -hmm, was it like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the town oh, okay. and what not your parents let's mm -hmm. go into that of course i know i was born on january 23 1976 in kalabo district of western province uh, my father is a teacher by profession, so I think I moved into Serenje district where he was a secondary school teacher. I remember vividly my early days then in Serenje. I was pretty young then, but I think I can still remember that I, 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 have, I can pick a few memories in my early days then. Then we moved to Southern Province. Uh, it is there where I studied my grade one, Charles Wanga Primary School to be specific. So grade one to five, I was in Southern Province. Then my father earned a promotion to go to a teacher training college. That's how it used to be called then. So we went to uh, Mongo Teacher Training College. That's where my father was transferred to where he became a lecturer. And then I continued my primary school education from grade five to grade seven. And subsequently got uh, to St. John's Secondary School from grade eight and up until I, I completed uh, my grade 12 in, in Western province. So that's part of my early childhood. <coughs> uh, so uh, Southern province, Western province. And it is in Western province where I started judo uh, at the age of 12, uh, just at the time that we moved from southern province to western province. 
uh, I got attracted to this uh, sport called judo. Of course, through the influence of friends who, uh, who introduced that sport to me. And uh, I didn't struggle to settle in. So that is where everything began. Uh, fast forward, of course, after leaving my uh, grade 12, I went straight to police college. Uh, became a police officer, of course, through the band section. And from then on, of course, moved through various uh, fields within the police service. And can safely say I've served more than, it's close to 28 years now, wow. believe it or not. So 95, if you're able to do your calculations to this very day. So, yeah. So that is partially my journey. But in between, they have, you know, they had a lot of other interesting uh, episodes. Um, talk about sport, judo in particular. I needed to tilt the balance to ensure that I also augment my position, various responsibilities I was given uh, with education. So I needed to also uh, do studies, did my law degree. Went on to do my master's degree with the University of Zambia. Uh, of course, I tried as much as possible to squeeze time because judo was so restrictive. We needed a lot of time to to prepare for international engagements. I was lucky, lucky enough because my employers really gave me the opportunity to explore. And I think they really played a big role in me becoming the person that I became in being a judo champion. Having represented my country for 12 years, and 12 years is a long time. Okay. Think of a child that gets into primary school, grade one, uh, finishes up to grade 12. That's how long I spent representing Zambia in various international competitions, which of course included the world championships at the highest level. Uh, so it, it's been an awesome journey, uh, I think, and I thank God for giving me the, uh, the direction uh, giving me the family that supported me, friends that supported me, and above all, uh, I think my employers, the Zambia police, uh, have been so helpful. The various leaders that I, I had during my early days at police college, uh, college commandants talk about Mr. Chendiram Sonda, who's late, of course, Mr. Peter Chingaipe, Dr. Solomon Jere, um, quite uh, a number of them, Duncan Mwanga. Those really gave me a special uh, platform to exercise. You know, sometimes I, I wonder, a college commandant will say, okay, for the next two months, uh, concentrate with your judo. Because I think they understood that uh, it, it was part and parcel of what really makes a police service. I mean, when you talk about judo and self-defense, they are intertwined in a way because it's part of the syllabus at police college and these are institutions, paramilitary and and Kanfinsa. So in a nutshell, that's basically who Shapa Okonguma is. So quite, in, a nutshell, yeah. quite a nutshell. Yeah. I must say you have talked about a lot of things mm. and throughout, I think in almost every after two words, you will mm. talk about judo. Mm. Out mm. of curiosity, um, is judo, was it putting good food on your table for you to have been that dedicated other than the passion that you, you, you exhibited? Obviously not as uh, football would have done. Uh, I did it out of passion. 
more than anything else. But along the way, it provided certain incentives that I never expected. For instance, uh, if I, when I traveled for the first time to, for a friendly event in, in Zimbabwe, which was 96, uh, I think the police gave me an allowance. And that's the first time I knew how a dollar looked like. And so, so I was paid an allowance in dollars. And that really was able to boost a bit of income that I had apart from the salary that I got. So I was used to getting these small allowances when you travel from one town to the other within the borders of your country. But across, it's a, it's a different ball game altogether. Now that was a motivation enough because then it gave me a clue of how much money I would get if I was consistent with my sport. And so, so yes, the incentive was there in terms of those allowances that come with your responsibility. Because you are, when you travel out of the country, irrespective of what you do, you are actually an ambassador. And I was not just merely a participant, a docile participant. I was somebody that would compete and bring something to the table. And that is what I think earned, a lot of, earned me a lot of respect from the people that supervised me at the time. But I was also, remember, I was very committed to sustain myself, my strength, my endurance, my discipline, and to make sure that I live within the values of judo. I really worked hard. Uh, it was not a, a smooth journey. It required a lot of hard work, commitment, and resilience against all odds. Yeah, so it's, it's been a worth, worthwhile journey that contributed to an assured income, extra income other than what I was getting through my salary. Nice. I'm yeah. sure someone that is listening to this and is interested in judo at least could have a perspective of what it looks like if you're very dedicated. Mm -hmm. And um, in your dedication then, um, can you just highlight or just recall the instances when you uh, achieved some great milestones? I know you've had quite a lot of medals attached to your name. What are some of those highlights from some of these achievements you've had in your mm -hmm. judo career? Okay. But the first thing I think is uh, the excitement when it comes to traveling. Uh, I remember in 98, for the first time, well, I was, first of all, I, I got into, I first boarded an aircraft at a very tender age, I think in my early 20s. Now that, that, that means a lot of exposure. Uh, and it gave me a perspective of how life is beyond the borders, you know, different, uh, belief systems in different people and all that not. So that was an eye-opener to me and it gave me a lot of experience, um, a lot of insight in terms of how people live and the difference that uh, there is between uh, our people and other people in different nations. Uh, that's number one. Number two, um, getting out there to compete and to be the reason why the national the national anthem should be played is something that really brings a lot of emotions to you as an individual if you know what patriotism really means and so I, I I think I got so much attached to the fact that um, I identify myself with my country you know patriotic identification with your own country when you are in such a space is important so um, I worked extremely hard to make sure that I contribute something as a citizen, as an individual. Because beyond that, I knew that I was going to be 
scribed in, in, in a very memorable fashion by, by the media because the media was always checking up on us to see who's doing what in what sporting discipline. We had a good soccer team then, I recall when we were going to the All Africa Games, the under 23, the Chintu Kampambas of uh, then, and you know, to go and compete in that kind of uh, a competition with other sporting disciplines such as the boxers, badminton players, judoka. So you, you are given the responsibility to, uh, to carry the burden on behalf of your, your sporting discipline. So I, I think I, I did that quite well. Um, to get a medal uh, hung around your neck because of your good work, your hard work, is, is, is an awesome feeling. So I, I, I still remember how emotionally attached I become when I think about those moments. So, so it's something that I always cherish. So it's a, it's a good feeling, yes, to answer your question. It's, it's a, an awesome experience. Others would want to just have the desire to travel out of the country without thinking about uh, um, putting the name of Zambia on the map. Because when you win an accolade, a medal on behalf of your country in a foreign, on foreign soil, it brings a lot of joy, not just to you and your family, but everybody else who's following what you're doing. And that's exactly what we did. And just to um, emphasize this point, that I am the first Zambian to ever win a gold medal at a Commonwealth Judo Championship. So, in other words, in, on the 16th of June 2006, the Zambia National Anthem played for the very first time on foreign soil, okay, at a judo Commonwealth event in Northern Ireland, Ketis of Shapakungma. Now, that, is, that speaks a lot of volume. That is one thing that uh, I'll always live to remember. So, it comes with a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you have really had an awesome journey when it comes to judo. Mm. But um, I'm interested because in your book, Judo, the sport that liberates mm -hmm. my life, you talk about Father Jude mm -hmm. quite a lot. Um, I would just like to understand a bit more from you. What impact has Father Jude made in the Judo sphere, looking at the history of Judo, time it started? Mm -hmm. What would you have to say about this icon? I think Father Jude is an example of a person uh, that we could uh, um, think of other than a parent, that you have somebody, a father figure in your community that identifies the little ones and gets them involved into a particular activity and manifests something out of them. And Father Jude did that to, not just to me, but a lot of other friends of mine. And even in my early stages as a young boy getting onto the mat, trying to practice, Father Jude was able to inspire me, to motivate me, by the words he uttered to me. To say that uh, I see a superstar in you in the next few years, and I still remember those days, means that I've, I was triggered to work hard from then on up until I became who I was. So that's the first thing that Father Jude did. To mentor somebody, to coach somebody, means that you need to attract them in a way, not just by deed, but by also trying to pump in some some kind of uh, encouraging words, and that's, that's what Father Jude did. So that's why I dedicated uh, chapter two in particular 
to Father Jude McKenna because then I explain what he did with regard to, you know, imparting knowledge in us, encouraging us to go to school. But most importantly, when he was in Osaka, to look at the vulnerable children that were coming from uh, surrounding areas of Longekas, Kalingalinga area, um, Mutendere, to bring them and house them in that uh, dojo and make a life out of them. Some of whom now are serving in the defense and security wings. You would uh, want to, to actually uh, follow through in the book I've written about certain individuals that are contributing positively now. Then you would actually see that uh, they were, you know, trapped up into poverty. But Father Jude brought up a skill and gave them an opportunity uh, to be who they are today. And so Father Jude not only identified talent, but was able to also guide us on a roadmap to success. And uh, he still lives to this very day. And once in a while, I pick a phone call. He's back home in the Republic of Ireland. We speak. We communicate. Of course, he has, he's, he has advanced in age, but I remember him and we have that connection. And so having said this, of course, uh, I would like to thank the Irish Embassy and through them, Father Jude McKenna, who was an Irish citizen, but uh, spent more than 50 years in Zambia, contributed so much to the development and advancement of judo. And this means we have a stable uh, for some of us in, in, in the defense and security wings, judo has been the platform to inculcate a sense of physical fitness through self-defense, of course. And we have managed to organize it in such a manner that we have competitions, regular competitions, to make sure that we sustain the physical ability among these men and women in uniform through judo. So you can see the impact. Huge, isn't it? I can see the impact. Yeah. It's been a lot. Um, and as I, I, I read in your book, there was a time, I think you were seven in Liberia, where mm. I think it, uh, you were facing some form of racism issue because of your, your position and whatnot. But for me, what I would like to find out is in your judo experiences, were there times when you get onto your, what do you call it? It's a dogger? When you get into the dojo, the tatami, the mat, okay, yeah. the tatami. The, the Where you're having a competition, yeah? Uh -huh. And then people are underestimating you because you're black. Did you have those Of course, I've had such experiences. You spoke about Liberia and I will speak about it before I answer your question. That uh, I was one of those few privileged to travel to Liberia to serve under the auspices of the UN, United Nations mission in Liberia. To be specific, 95... Um, no, 2005 to 2006. And so we got to Liberia and the mission was headed by uh, some white guy from the US. And my passion, obviously, was to, to remain with uh, my field in physical fitness or self-defense. And having been based at the police academy, I wanted to obviously venture to, to, to be part of the tactical training team. So this guy says, you know what, he looks at my CV and he says, uh, I, I don't think you can manage in this. Uh, I, I see you, you did some diploma, uh, in, you did some law, uh, you have a certificate in law, and I think you, you, you can do better. 
uh, in the law department. But I insisted. I said, you know what, I want to be in that team. Uh, did I know that there was not a single black person in that, in, in that so-called tactical training unit? And when I insisted, she called a meeting and he said, you know, uh, Sharpa, it's quite risky for you to be with us because this is physical and all that, all that not. You, to, for you to be part of us, you, you need to undergo some certain um, assessment. So do you agree that uh, we can organize an assessment for you? I, I said, of course, why not? And so outside the police academy, we went somewhere where they had arranged put up a few mats there and called up a few guys to demonstrate within the team, of course. So grappling, punching, kicking, and all that not. They said, this is how we do it. You need to prove that you are worthy to be part of the team by at least defeating out of the 12, six. So they gave me the rules of the game. They lined up and they said, uh, we'll give you five minutes bout of each so one after the other and out of the five minutes if within the five minutes you're able to to defeat this opponent or whoever it is he submits within maybe two minutes or less than that then you get to the next opponent but we can give you a bit of time to rest they explained their rules the ground rules and asked me whether i was comfortable with it and then i said well there was no problem except I told them I didn't want their break and that I was going to take them one after the other. So Sounds I think, like yeah, so they I got incest. I was tiny. I didn't look this big. So they obviously thought I was playing around with them. And so they lined up. So one after the other, I took them on. And I think the story is in the book. And they were so shocked that by the time I got to the fourth guy, the fifth guy refused to come to take up the challenge because these guys were really battered, seriously battered. Then that's how I got into that team. So coming back to your question, whether or not I had, I've had uh, these issues of racism. Yes, I recall in 2001, I was in 2001, yes, Libya. When I traveled to Libya, the referees, all of them, you know, were from one part of the country. And so I gave the opponents there a really, really tough time. So when I got into the final, just a few seconds from, from the last minute of the bout, I was leading. These guys just decided to stop the fight. Talk amongst themselves, the referees. The next thing is I'm penalized and I lose the game. So to me, that was really because of the skin color. But because of the values that we have in judo, to respect you know, to restrain yourself, self-discipline, I accepted and continued to work hard. So yes, even if judo is one tool that would obviously cut across boundaries without due regard to the color of a person, you could, we, we did, we used to face some of these, you know, uh, negative uh, traits in, in individuals. I think it's normal, you've seen it in football yeah. <clears throat> and other other sporting activities. So to answer your question, yes, yes, I've gone through through that as well. Yeah. Okay, nice. It's good you gave them a good beating based on the, the judo principles, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing against anyone out there. Uh -huh. Yeah, so as it is known to many people, you are the presidential aide-de-camp of, yeah, our president. Mm -hmm. 
what is that like for you having to be in that role well it is a rare honor and privilege to be selected out of the so many police officers to to be a presidential aide camp uh, it is a privilege that uh, i don't take so lightly um, because you must understand how many people would be craving to to work in state house and in particular first of all what does the role entail well um, a presidential aide simply means an assistant to the to your VVIP. You've seen aide camps. Um, these are individuals that it's a military term you would want to say. It's associated with the military kind of sphere where a general has a, an aide. So this is a person that makes sure that the appointments for for his commander are uh, are well designed. He handles the presidential. The, the, I mean, the, 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 the commander's diary. Uh, he makes sure that he plans the routine trips for his boss, and walks in his visitors and all that. Not so. That is almost similar uh, to what I do. But apart from being an aide to to my boss, I am because by virtue of the fact that I'm a police officer. Most importantly for me, it is security related. So a police officer, the duties of a police officer, according to the law, is to make sure that your property is secure, your life is protected, and that we are supposed to di dictate crime. One of the few, uh, some, of, some of those duties are ascribed to us as police officers. So when you look at me as a police officer, and the role that I have is simply to provide security to my VVIP. And so that is a privilege as an honor that I shouldn't take lightly. But I can only also thank those that recommended me for that portfolio. And uh, I work hard every day, uh, reminding myself that I'm obviously very lucky to find myself there. But at the same time, you must understand that I really worked hard uh, to be where I am. Because these things don't just come on a silver platter. You really need to work hard. You need to prove that you're worthy to be given a responsibility such as that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. and also based on my understanding, you've done further studies in law enforcement. You have a master's in, in law. Defense and security studies. I have a law degree. So that is to augment the position that you have as a police officer. And this goes to uh, the young police officers. And I know a number of them... Uh, want to improve their academic qualifications and I encourage them to do so because they say sky is the limit but beyond that there's even heaven. So you, there's no limit to what you can do, what you can achieve. Yesterday I was reading something uh, about somebody that was, that, that, that talks about personal growth, personal development and in his book he says, look at a grain. When you put it in a place where it cannot grow, it will not grow. You can keep a maize grain here. It will stay for years. It will eventually rot. But put it in the soil and add a bit of water. Within a few days you see it spring up. So this is the most important thing about human development, personal development. You, there's no limit to to outdo that which you are today. And so 
as an individual, as police officers, we must always aspire to, to go beyond what we, we are. Our daily routine, yes, but you can always go beyond that. You, you've, you've had quite a lot of experiences. And now I am just thinking, how have you been able to balance your talent, your professional aspirations, education, and most importantly, family? How has that played out for you? When you cherish something, you always find time for that which you cherish. There's always time. Uh, yes, I have a busy schedule. But yes, I also have time for the family. Yes, I also have time for my gym. And yes, I also have time for judo. And if you see my, if you follow my Facebook page, you will notice that uh, the videos I post are actually latest. That means that um, I have time to this very day. Whenever I have some kind of space, uh, it doesn't matter what time, I get to the gym sometimes as late as 22 hours. Because I know I need it. I need to keep my body fit. And so whatever time I have, uh, I make sure that I maximize to benefit myself. So yes, it could be an excuse to say that I'm busy, I'm you know, always, uh, you know, what about now? <laughs> I've had to find, to squeeze a bit of time. When Sydney called me yesterday, or oh, in fact the day before yesterday, he knows I'm busy, but he also understands that I'll always uh, be available. I'll be at, at his disposal when I need to, as long as I can find time. So the 50 minutes I'm here, well, it's because I appreciate Sotrain publishers. I cherish uh, what they've done to my life. I have to find time for, for, for your team to come and talk about my experiences. So I could be busy, but that which I cherish, I'll find time for. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Talking of social and publishers, um, how has it been like just being under, I mean, having to be a social and published author and what, how, how, how was the experience that like leading to the, the production of this book? Okay. Just briefly yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you see, I started uh, working on my project around 20, 2019, 2020, they I had made uh, strides. Uh, and then you see the power of social media. I don't know, I was out in Europe and then I was checking through, flipping through social media pages and I see this young man, uh, Sydney, uh, trying to promote a uh, train and talking about this. And I got interested, so I delved into it I checked through, I got encouraged, I said, okay, let me try and get in touch with, uh, with this gentleman. Whilst I was in, in Europe, uh, I think I, I, I WhatsApped him and he, he returned my WhatsApp. And then when, we, when I came back, we had a one-to-one. -one. Then I said, okay, let me give you an opportunity. And then, but, you know, just from there, he started giving me, giving me ideas. This is how you, you know, you manage uh, this kind of a project, this is what you have to do, we need to check this, we need to do this. Uh, you could be busy, but we are in the background to help you, you know, analyze this and that. And so we worked together, uh, you see. And so the experience really, to answer your question, with Sotran Publishers was such that it made my job very easy. 
it made this the success of the launch exceptional uh, you know uh, my project is almost just one week shy of making uh, a year since it was launched and the launch was excellent it is something that if i play uh, today on my on my phone I, I look at the videos i really think it was a job well done so it's it's it it has been a successful project i think i've had a lot of um, the feedback from the people that have read my book has been awesome remember it's on amazon and uh, a lot of my friends in the diaspora are able to access it via amazon and that was one of the works that you guys did in the background so i think the experience has been marvelous yeah. nice mm. <coughs> now Sasheke is usually synonymous to Sharpa mm. and vice versa. What, what, what's the Sasheke story like? A lot of people know you based on that experience and now they know even this much of Sharpa. Mm. What exactly was going on at that time with the Sasheke incident? <laughs> Sasheke maybe is what led me to, to fame. Uh, maybe. I think it also contributed. Not that I wasn't because of Judah, of course. I, but then there came a time that... Uh, out of the ordinary, a police officer in, in Sharpa tried to do what he did and then the country was up in flames to say why... What do you mean the, the police officer in Sharpa? <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, at the time, it was not fashionable for anybody holding a position such as I had, officer commanding in a district with a lot of pressure getting into a by-election which was marred with so much violence, uh, so much corruption, to be honest with you, and so much pressure on me and my officers to do wrong things. Then I stood my ground and called for a meeting of the parties involved, and I told them that I neither knew left nor right that I was going to be straight and that I was going to stick to my my ethics as a police officer and that I actually did and and that subsequently cost my job and that over my other colleagues so yes and the rest is history but uh, uh, it paid up because when you are professional the, the reward is multiple so I think I got the reward. I was a senior superintendent then. I'm deputy commissioner of police today. Food for thought for those officers, young officers, that when you are given a responsibility to discharge on behalf of the people, a duty to, to discharge on behalf of the citizens, you must do that without having to look at who is committing a crime. That everybody is equal before the law. And that's exactly what we did. Yes, you could be punished, but the aftermath of that could be a big reward. Okay, nice. We have talked a lot about judo and your writing and whatnot. I usually see on your social media you post um, your young boy, Walusungu. Mm -hmm. As a parent, because you're such a passionate judoka, um, how have you created a distinction between just sharing your heart with your children and not imposing that they should also be what you have been, mm -hmm. which is a judoka. As parents, we are role models to our children. 
So the first thing they want to pick is what you do as a parent. That's why when Walusungu sees me go to the gym and he's with me, he thinks that's the that's way to go. If he sees me putting on a judo suit, he thinks that's the way to go. And which is why he's been doing that. And I practice with him when he sees me practicing with my... But again, uh, because of the advent of social media now, he has access to other... Uh, other activities such as football. Now he talks about Haaland, sometimes he talks about Messi, sometimes he talks about Cristiano Ronaldo. And I've not restricted him to explore because that is how children should develop. If I had an opportunity to take him to the swimming pool for him to acquire the skill to learn how to swim, I would gladly do so. If I had an opportunity to take him to a football pitch to go and play soccer with the little ones because the elder sister has actually opted to do that, I've encouraged her to do so. And this is all in the quest to ensuring that the child can, should be exposed to as many activities as possible so that he's able to pick. That's the only way you can identify talent in, a, in the little ones by allowing them to explore. So I have given him that opportunity. But I think he has a lot of passion looking at, maybe because of the attachment that he has with me, I spend a lot of time with him. Uh, He's turning five in just a, a week. So uh, we, he talks about you know, going to the judo room with me. And he's, I think he's growing up knowing too well that judo is something that, 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 is, that is good for him. But I'm not so restrictive. I'm allowing him to do other things. And I want to encourage parents also, sometimes when your children meet my child and they want to do judo, don't restrict your children from doing playing with Walusungu because Walusungu is going to do judo on them. He's just trying to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be a good boy. Sometimes Walusungu has a scary face as little as he is. So. <laughs> but yeah. he's a really sweet boy, I noticed yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So that, that's really nice to mm, hear. Mm. Um, as we conclude this conversation, um, why is it important for us to continue telling our stories? You've been telling your story through your book as well as social media and whatnot. Why should this carry on, in, especially in telling our African stories? What do you think about the importance of storytelling? Storytelling is good uh, because, you know, without stories, then we, are, we don't have history. Stories are more like, more than just a path left by the past. They influence for, uh, who we are today. They influence who we should be tomorrow. Okay, so it is in those stories especially if they are well-crafted, well-documented in a book, that will help society to move from one particular direction into another, which is obviously positive. Positive stories in this, in this sense. And that's what we want to encourage. Uh, to inculcate a sense of, uh, you know, wanting to read and read and read more. Because they say that uh, readers are actually leaders. The, 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 the society of today, the people of today, the little ones of today should learn that if they want to be successful, they must be able to read stories, positive stories. And those stories are found in books. So this is the more reason why we have to tell our stories. I am associated with my own story because this story about Shapa Okunguma is done by myself. I tell my experience. Uh, and because of my talent, I am where I am today. And because of the influence I have, I've also literally 
influenced a lot of little ones. I can give you examples of those that are doing very well within the police service and beyond. Matthew Spunza is one of them. Matthew Spunza was a, a flag carrier at the 2012 Olympic Games. He's a child I met when he was six. Okay, there's an officer in my office today, Benjamin Mupeta. You know, I recruited him into the police service, but I met him when he was eight years old. There's Francis Sichone. There's Michael Mwavi. There's William Kalunga. These are police officers. But there are others with the correctional service who started judo at my dojo in Lilai. And now they have an opportunity. So it is good to have stories read, or you read the stories, you read stories to the little ones to, to influence their positive attitudes so that they can remain focused. And stories done by ourselves, indigenous writers in Zambia, I think will add uh, more value. They will, they will carry uh, something that is more meaningful, it's a tangible thing that you are able to associate yourself with because these are people that you can literally meet. Uh, so that is why it is important, I think, to, to tell your own stories like I have done today. Nice. Would have loved to carry on the conversation, but I see your phone has been buzzing. ringing. It's been buzzing. <laughs> this is the man I've been talking to, you know. So much to have had to learn uh, from your journey, yeah. even beyond the, the interactions we have, we have had based on your book project. And uh, this is what Nkanizadu is all about. We aim to share our stories. I was sitting, I've been here with Sharpa, and we have had a very enriching conversation about the role, in just highlighting the role of judo in Zambia and what it has done for individuals such as Sharpa. Remember also that judo, the sport that liberated my life, is on sale, very much on sale. It's a story of Sharpa's journey, uh, and the book can be found at Sotran Publishers, which is based at uh, Kulima Tower Building. Office 601, and you can contact Sotran Publishers for your book needs as well as publishing needs on uh, 0763 4652255. Uh, also, this podcast could not have been possible without Sotran Publishers, as well as our media partner for this episode, which have been the media firms under Every Moment Connections. They have given us all these beautiful uh, uh, visuals you are seeing right here and also located exactly here at uh, Every Moment Connections. So until next time, tune in. And most importantly, you need to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you have not already done so. Have a wonderful afternoon, evening, night, or whatever time that you're going to be tuned into this episode. Goodbye. Welcome to Nkanizatu, the pod that tells indigenous stories every day. The platform that tells you what's good and what's odd for young people and elderly alike in the areas of art, history, and culture preservation. And now your host, Rina Kasongo.